Pharisees because it's so natural to all of us. It's natural to this world, right? And God wants truth in the innermost being. That's what David said. In the old covenant, he said it. How much more in the new covenant do I need to say, wow, behold, you desire wisdom in the hidden parts, in truth, in my innermost being. That means inside out, not outside in, right? Religion is outside, but the kingdom's inside out. It's, it starts within, in the heart. God's always after the heart of the matter. He's always after the heart of the matter. And it's easy, we know, to have our minds wrapped around something that, that the Lord declares is right or true and just kind of not really walk in it. So recapping a little here, but we're aiming at being transformed in this season on greater levels, right? We're being exposed on greater levels. So we want to we want to say yes. We want to walk in this thing. I'm going to grab my water. And before I do, I felt in my heart, um, I want to pray before I begin here. And forgive me, I, man, there's been such, such, a, such a couple of weeks here of just, I'm exhausted. Pray for me. I, I've been lacking serious sleep, like sleep deprivation. My mind is so weak, but just standing, even as Wesley was saying, I'm like, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. If I'm weak and I, I fumble through this thing, that's okay. But I'm going to minister out of obedience to God and faith in his grace. So bear with me here. Um, Lord, I just thank you for grace and strength. You're inexhaustible, God. You are the mighty God, the everlasting God. Lord, you're the laws of the spirit of life that are in me, in us, supersede the laws of this age. God, even Paul was sleepless for nights, days at sea, and he continued onward in obedience to you. And Lord, I'm not days at sea, and uh, I'm just going to trust you right now for grace and strength to clearly communicate uh, some of the things that you're putting before us, God. I trust you. I worship you. God, I'm not here to um, put on a show. I'm weak and I'm okay with that. And, and I'm going to be okay with that. Lord, I thank you. Amen. I want to pray real quick before we go into this message, Malachi chapter four, verse six. I just felt to pray. This is just heavy on my heart. Father, I just ask you that you would turn the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers, mothers to daughters and daughters to mothers. Uh, even in our midst, would you begin a work like this? Would you continue to restore relational dynamics? Would you let your kingdom come, let your will be done in our marriages, in our families, in our sons and daughters, in our households? God, would you touch down with restoration, with healing, God? Would you transform our lives into your design. God, would you establish our weak relationships? Would you establish us further and deeper still, Lord? We just, we want to go with Jesus. We want to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We want to say yes to, to Jesus, God. Help us by your power to say yes and to be transformed, God. 
But I just pray for every um, place in our lives, Lord, every relationship that's broken or out of order or weak and lacking. Lord, come in like a flood and fill us to overflowing. Refresh our relationships. Turn our hearts in love to one another deeper still, God, we pray. We thank you for what you're doing, God. We thank you for what you're doing, Lord. We thank you you're doing what no man can do. Even the, the places we've reached and tried to make things work here, there, and everywhere, the exhaustion of that, that the flesh profits nothing. It's, it's a tough lesson to learn, and I, I learn it at different times in different ways, that he can do what no man can do. And, and my job is to just peace be still, humble myself underneath his mighty hand, Heed his word. Believe God. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. I can do it. I'll do it. So, Lord, we trust you. We trust you today. Amen. All right, here goes something. So, I, uh, I had a dream just a few nights ago. It was a real simple dream, but I was really encouraged by it. And uh, in the dream, I was just... I was talking on a religious spirit, and, and I said in the dream, I said, it's, it's Luke 15 and John 15. And I woke up from the dream. I said, started thinking through those chapters. I think, yeah, this sounds like God. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with the flow of these themes here because Luke 15, God is dealing with a religious spirit. And I feel like these are two little keys for us. And it gave me some language. I want to I go in Luke 15 today. Luke 15, Jesus... Uh, speaks to a religious spirit in half the story, right? The older son, we're going to look at that. And in John 15, Jesus is teaching about obedience versus legalism, right? You read John 15 in the flesh, and you're going to come under law and legalism and live exhausted, trying to please God. But in John 15, Jesus is differentiating what True freedom looks like it's called obedience. It's not a it's not the written letter of the law, it's a law of love for God. And it's love-based obedience that allows us to walk in freedom and not legalism. Legalism is trying to get my act together and achieve a status with God rather than breaking myself before the gospel and saying, I had no status with God and you gave me one. And it cannot be earned. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. My, the work of my hand cannot accomplish righteousness. I have no right standing with you in my flesh, in my past, present, or future. Paul says, hey, if anyone has reason to boast, it was me. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a teacher of the law, instructed uh, in the law, right? A leader among Men, a leader among leaders. And he says, all of my self-righteousness and ability to boast before God has, come, has become dung in light of the gospel in the man Christ Jesus, who is the righteous one. He, uh, John says, um, are, you the, are you the righteous one? Are you the expected one or shall we look for another? And Paul came to turn terms on the Damascus Road that he's the righteous one and there is no other. And the Pharisee of Pharisees was brought low. 
before the Lord God, the God of truth and righteousness, who's faultless and flawless, whom every man needs to become righteous. That's serious. This issue of righteousness is so serious in our lives because it's natural to our flesh to try to be that in our own strength, in our own doing. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1.30, but by his doing, but by his doing, we have become righteous so that no flesh may boast before God. Wow. What rest to boast in God alone. What a place of rest and freedom to boast in Jesus alone for accomplishing righteousness, achieving it on our behalf. That's a little piece of John 15. Just got ahead of myself. So we'll turn to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. And this is profound that Jesus, I mean, in his infinite wisdom, he reveals such a profound reality to us with such a short, small, simple story. Only he can do that. Only Jesus can mess our whole life up in a good way with such few words. And he, he says, let me wrap up the, the dynamic among men and, and the dynamic among my people. Let me, let me consolidate it all and make it really simple. And I'm going to tell you a story about two sons, not 22. <laughs> and it's going to be real easy to get. And this is going to be an incredible light on the life of my people. This story is going to shine on the lives of my people and keep them where they belong at all times. And if we stray, it's going to call us home again where we belong. And he tells us a story of two sons, right? And here's what's amazing is as righteous and self-justified as this older son felt he was or maybe thought he was. Both sons needed repentance, right? Both sons needed repentance. Both sons needed to come home and stay home. Both sons were in trouble and needed help. They needed rest for their souls. They needed to come home to him, right? They had both strayed. They were both in a far distant land. It just looked different. It looked different. So I'm not going to touch on the younger son this morning, maybe just a little to contrast and compare. But I've been in this. Luke chapter 15, we'll begin verse 25. Jesus said, now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Is everybody somewhat familiar with this story? That this father had two sons. The, uh, the younger son uh, said, give me my inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. I'm covetous. I've got some passions and lusts and desires I want to go fulfill, and I need a few bucks. <laughs> give me what you got for me today. And it says not many days later, he went off, right? And it's such a picture of the preconceived 
war going on inside this younger son. Not many days later, he went off. He wrestled. He had something going on inside. And he had desires and motives and aspirations that were not good for him or anybody for that matter. And it says he goes off, he squanders his inheritance from God with prostitutes and loose living, drunkenness, you know, you name it. He was doing it. And he comes to his senses and he, and he, and he returns to God. We'll dig into this further maybe later, but just a little backdrop for the older son. He returns, and God, the Father, celebrates his return, right? A lavish banquet and feast for this younger son who was squandering his inheritance on loose living. And it seems so unfair, right? Especially to the older son. So let's look at the older son, because this is the music he heard and the dancing that was going on was the celebration of the return. So his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. He's perplexed. So I just want to talk about this verse 25 for a minute. It says, as the younger son was in a far distant country, the older son was in a field, right? He's still at a distance. And this field is the field of religion. It's the field of working for God rather than working with God. Laboring for him, right, to please him or to be, try to become something great before him rather than laboring with him. It's, it's a field of religion. It's tilling the ground, laboring for God not in grace, not in relationship with God, right? Separate from God in our own flesh and in our own strength. If you remember what the scripture says of Cain, who also is a serious picture of religion and the works of flesh that cannot bring glory to God. In fact, God denies Cain's offering because it came from the works of his own hands. That's serious. If you read the story of Cain in our natural mind, it seems unfair. Well, he was working, and he brought an offering to God. I mean, he brought a tithe to the Lord. I mean, what's going on? Is God in a bad mood, right? No, Cain is a picture of a religious spirit, of a self-righteous thing that achieves and come to, comes to its own standing before God rather than by grace, by God's provision. So it says of Cain that he was a tiller of the ground. It's the same thing. The tiller of the ground and this older son in the field, it's the same spirit. It's the works of flesh that can boast before God. <laughs> That's frightening, right? To think it's arrived, it's accomplished something for God. Look at me, look at what I've done. Isn't this wonderful? And God says, I can't even accept that because all of your righteousness, Joseph, is a filthy garment. And I tell you that because I love you and I have a greater righteousness for you to experience. One that I accomplished for you. One that being in the field working for me could never accomplish for you. He's called us to labor with him in the grace of God through relationship, through a knowing of him. 
so that what I bring to him is from relationship in grace. It's produced by grace, and it is acceptable to him because it's based in obedience to his word, whether written or spoken, but that what I do for him is out of obedience. I was actually speaking with somebody last night about this, and you know, there's a big difference between uh, the propagation of a ministry model that says, oh yeah, you know, when you get saved, you get on fire for God, now go do a work for God. You know, you know, go to Bible school, go do a great work for God, brother. And you slap him on the back and, you know, everyone claps their hands because he's, he's doing a great work for God. And I'm not being mean, but that's a big, big, far distant reality from being called by God to do something out of obedience, which means there's grace on it, which means you can't bring it to pass. Your yes in obedience allows him to bring it to pass, and you're laboring in grace so that when it comes to pass, you can't boast in it. That's, that's how he does it. When he calls you to do a work or a task for him, it's about obedience, not works. You, you do work, but you're working out of loving obedience to his word and call so that whatever comes out of that is born of God, it overcomes the world, and no flesh can glory in it. And God can glory in it, which is the whole end of the story, the glory of God, right? Ephesians 1. He called us that we would be to the praise of His glory, not our glory. It's not, look at our ministry, look at our church, look how many gifted people we have. It's, look what God is doing. Look whom God has assembled by His own purpose in this land, in this region, and look what He has granted to us to be stewards of. Let's tremble. <laughs> Let's yield to stewardship, obedience, relationship with God. So that's, that's the field reality. It's, it's religion. It's works. It's being tillers of the ground. What did Abel do? Abel out of relationship with God, received a revelation of the Messiah. Jesus said so. Jesus said Abel was a prophet, and he saw the reality by revelation, whether he understood the full thing or not. That's why he slayed an animal and brought it to the Lord as a blood sacrifice. That was acceptable to God. It wasn't the works of his own hands. And it was a mirror of the, the sacrifice of Christ. So the field reality is a religious reality. It's working for God than rather working with God, out of relationship with God. It says, and when he came and approached the house, just another reality that this son, who was a son of the father, belonged in the house. Right? It says, when he approached the house, because he's far off, he's distant at heart. He can see the house, he can see the Father, he may have some understanding of kind of what's going on, but he's not in on it. His heart's distant due to unbelief, or anger, or jealousy, or envy. You know, he's, he's distant at a heart level. And he approaches the house and hears music and dancing. And the, the servant said to him, your brother has come 
and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. That is a profound passage. He became angry and was not willing to go in where he belonged due to anger, offense, unbelief, ultimately. Because what's profound about this story is that this older son had access to the same celebration his entire life, but due to unbelief and having a pruned face dynamic in his soul, something sour in his soul, jealousy, envy, unbelief, not knowing that he has access to that same dynamic, he's offended. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Listen, maybe this, Jesus knows, right? There's different areas throughout our life journey, past, maybe present and future, where this thing's real or it has opportunity to get into your soul. And I remember years living in this field. This thing's so real to me. I lived for probably ten, my first 10 years as a believer. I lived in this field not, not knowing how to get out of it because I didn't understand who he was and how he saw me. So I just stayed there, right? I stayed at a distance working for God rather than working with God out of relationship. And there were moments of working with God, but predominantly being in this field and not understanding what was mine. I would watch for years. I'd see people getting free in God and delivered and finding joy in their life, getting married, having children, building families, having jobs. I had nothing. I felt like the... I felt like the, the last one in line for years as a believer. And there were times where that was so painful and souring to my soul. And it's a tough thing to say that it's, it wasn't the Lord's doing. It wasn't the Lord's fault. There was an unbelieving area in my heart. I didn't believe the truth. And so I couldn't access the house. And more importantly than accessing the house, right, when he approached the house, more than that, I belonged in the bosom of the father just as that younger son belonged. Both of these sons had one true remedy for their soul's sake. It's the bosom of the father. And there were times where, you know, um, just kind of... Uh, Theoretically, I'd step into the house, so to speak, and still not really get into the bosom of God where that unbelief could be dealt with and where I could truly access what he made available to me by a free gift of grace. And so I would watch people for years finding freedom and just feeling so overlooked by God for years and years and years, completely overlooked, underestimated, and disregarded by God. And I'd, I'd look and I'd point and say, you know, why not me? I was so grieved before the Lord. Why not me? When's my day? When do I get a wife? When will I have a family? 
and all of that stuff just leading to further and further unbelief, hardness of heart, bitterness, accusation, a quandary, a psychological quandary that is miserable to live in if you've been there at all. It's miserable. And all along, God had the same dynamic in store for, for me, but my heart of unbelief, which the Bible calls an evil heart of unbelief, even for a believer, because it's anti-Christ in nature, unbelief is. Unbelief shuts off the kingdom of God. It quenches the spirit, right? And God says, that's an evil thing, Joseph. Don't let that grow another day in your soul. Don't spend another day in that field wondering when your day is. Your day was 2003 years, 2021 years ago. Don't keep waiting for your day of freedom. Behold, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. It's now. We have access now. Total freedom, right? It's real. The father comes and begins pleading with him. Isn't that amazing? Both sons the father comes to, willing to receive. But he answered and said to his father, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. Wow. Was this older brother, this man right here, he's found out. <laughs> Dead in his unbelief, he's completely exposed in this passage. The basis of his entire life and what he's building his life on, the foundation upon which this man was building his life is completely revealed to us right here. And it's one that will not stand in the storm. <laughs> the waves will come and wash this foundation away because it's built by flesh and blood. It cannot stand. It's not born of God. This man's justification was self-based. He says, I've served you for all these years and neglected none of your commands, and you've never partied for me. You've never given me a calf to slay and celebrate with my friends. He's accusing the father, right, for why he stands where he stands. And the father, all at once, in his accusation, is revealing why he stands where he stands. And that's a tough thing to own up. You want to be humbled? Admit, and I'm not saying to you, I'm saying you're accountable before God as I am. One of the most humbling things for me in life that struck proud so deeply was to admit, no matter how bad my life was at that season of life, that God is faultless. Oh, that he's with no error. He's all wise. He's the good God. He's the good father of Luke 15, Joseph. And he never changes. And the problem is not from him or of him. So someone's got to admit where the problem lies. That's serious business. In, in you want freedom, I want freedom, that's a tough one, but that's where it is. I had to admit that there was evil heart of unbelief. There's places in my heart that were the reason for my life experience 
and had nothing to do with God and even at, at length, nothing to do with the enemy. It had to do with me, right? And coming to a place in life where I could truly be broken and humbled so that religion could be, unbelief and religion could be dealt with and bring me to rest where I stopped working for God and working to become what he worked for me to become, where I could find rest for my soul, right? We read it earlier. So this man trusted in his own labors and his own righteousness in his own self-made status. He's boasting before God. Hold on here. Um, I'm not celebrating that because that's unfair. Look what he did. Look what I've done. And he's missing the whole point that the remedy for both of them is look what he done. <laughs> look what he done did. Right? Because in both extremes, it's irrelevant. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And so whether it's the, the young son or daughter selling herself on loose living, immorality, drunkenness, you name it, or whether it's an older son or daughter who's bound in a self-righteous religious spirit, both places, the issue is the same. Thank you.